90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, doing good. Pretty sunburned. Working it pretty hard out here in the field. <laughs> yeah, you're back out in Canyon City. I am. Um, the weather's been amazing. I realize we always talk about the weather, but we're both meteorologists at heart, so, you know, it seems seems appropriate. Well, you've had the pretty view of the storms. I've been caught in hailstorms yeah. twice in a row. <laughs> I was going to ask how your cars were doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... The night before we were recording this intro, uh, we saw a pretty large storm with a pretty decent hail core mm-hmm. that was heading towards the house. So we <laughs> conveniently timed ordering pizza from a pizza hut south of us. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and drove south, got the pizza, watched the hail pass over the house from the interstate, and then came back to find my yard filled with hail. And I've got some pictures on my Twitter showing hailstones up to about one and three quarters of an inch. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, so then today I'm in town running a couple of errands and I'm sitting down eating lunch and I, I've seen baseball hail when I was in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but th- this was quarter size hail. So it was small compared to last night, but it's been years since I've seen such volume. I mean, in 30 seconds, the sidewalks were covered. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, I also think that I am, uh, I don't believe I had any car damage from that. Uh, we don't know about the, the roof on the house yet, but I think I will be the only person with a saved Nexrad loop to show the insurance company. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know. There's a high percentage of meteorologists in that area. I bet they've seen it before. It, you know, possibly true. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, we've missed it all, but we've had some nice temperatures. So it's been excellent mapping weather, I will say. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so we were talking about what to do during these intermediate shows while we're getting the outer solar system together Mm -hmm. to continue the solar system series. And one night I got a message from you that said, by the way, I'm recording a show right now. Yes, uh, it just so happened that uh, my good friend, Dr. Devin Denny, was in town because he was doing some filming for his company, which he runs sort of an educational geology company. And he said, hey, do you want to do this podcast that we've been trying to schedule with him for like an hour or a year or something? (laughs) So you weren't available, but I just went ahead and took the bull by the horns. It was my first time by myself. I know I mentioned it a lot because I was real scared, but I think I did it. (laughs) Yeah, and so I will get to hear for the first time while I'm editing this together. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so this will be interesting. So without further delay, I will turn it over to past you. This week, we're going to talk to my good friend, Dr. Devin Denny. Um, He's a petroleum geologist in Oklahoma City, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk to him in his role as the president of Esteem Corporation. And what does that mean, Devin? (laughs) Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Shannon. Absolutely. Um, Esteem. So, uh, Esteem is the Earth Science and Technology Excellence and Educational Media Company. And, And it's a nonprofit. What we do is we do earth science educational media, so television, film, uh, internet, video. Uh, We're doing some some interactive products. We're doing all sorts of things 
with the goal of K through 12 STEM education with a focus on earth science. So we definitely talk a lot about that in our podcast. So this is kind of right in our wheelhouse. I know we've been trying to get you on for quite a while, and uh, we're actually live on location in Canyon City during the middle of field camp. Yeah, that's right. It's a, <laughs> it's a beautiful place. It's, uh, it's nice tonight. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I apologize for the cricket noises. Hopefully everyone's just jealous of the awesome background. <laughs> <laughs> It'll distract from us talking. So yes, yes, exactly. No problem. Um, so as we were talking about before the show, Devin, you're a longtime promoter of education and geoscience um, through all kinds of multimedia things. You know, when did you start doing this? Esteem is a fairly new thing. I know you guys yeah. used to have Explore Multimedia, which did a lot of really cool videos too. Yeah, we Explore Multimedia we started back in 2002, so it's it's been a long time. We've actually, so first of all, I'd like to say that I, I don't do this alone. My uh, co-producer is Todd Kent. He's sitting over here right now listening. Um, he, uh, he and I have been making videos since 1999. So since the uh, first year of my, my graduate study at Texas Christian University. Um, you know, we started, uh, I realized going out to state parks around the Dallas-Fort Worth area that people were around geology all the time and they didn't realize it, they didn't recognize it. And so we started putting things that were common for them or in their own backyard into a perspective that reflected earth science. I'll give you an example. We went to a, a festival that made ice cream. And at that ice cream, they use rock salt to cool the, uh, to super cool the, uh, the cream mixture, right, in order to make the ice cream. And so we would wander around the ice cream festival talking about geology to people eating ice cream. Well, they, they didn't really care about the geology. They cared about the ice cream. But they took that away. We made a nice video. Um, about geology and an ice cream festival. And so that was even 20 years ago. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about Geology Kitchen here in a minute. That was kind of a prelude to it. So we realized we could rec we could access a lot of people that, that weren't outside of the science sphere by putting it in context that they could kind of understand. So we've been doing that ever since, uh, over 20 years now. So, not to date myself as well, but back when I was in college in 99, um, we weren't exactly sitting around watching YouTube videos. So, where did you, where did you put this out? That's a, good, that's a great point. So, it was a lot harder back then, right? You didn't just walk in and, and hit upload. Um, so, I, Todd uh, was uh, working at the University of North Texas television station. And we had access to a lot of television equipment there. And we would steal it and go out and film these things and, and, and edit it. Okay, we didn't steal it. We borrowed it. We brought it back. <laughs> we, uh, we brought it back and edited a television show. that We started off on North Texas, University of North Texas television channel. And so we actually were on television first. And we uh, grew that effort. We had a, the show was called North Texas Explore. So North Texas Explore, we put together it was a 30-minute television show. And um, at its peak, we had um, North Texas Explorer on in two different states and 14 different television stations across North Texas and, and uh, New Mexico and Louisiana. And so it was a regional show, and, and we did that every time. We, every a new episode, we would go to a new park or a new place or a festival. We'd go downtown to the sports stadium and look at the rocks on the facade of the outside of the building. <laughs> and then we'd grab random people and talk to them about the rocks. And they looked confused, and it was great. It was entertaining. <laughs> that sounds like a uh, late, night, late night show It was episode. a big, like, you know, come home after you're at the bar at 2 o'clock in the morning and watch our show. 
that sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, TV in a way is where I first saw your stuff too. It's because you guys produced a movie, Oklahoma Rocks, and that's a lot of my colleagues at the time were stars in that as well. So you moved on up to Oklahoma when you started school here, right? We did. That's right. So I decided I'd come to the great University of Oklahoma and do my uh, doctorate there. And uh, obviously, um, in my again, Todd was in Dallas. So we, we moved into documentary mode. And so the first documentary I wanted to do was tell the entire geologic history of the state of Oklahoma. Because, <laughs> you, you, you know, know, it's such a small topic. But <laughs> And so we shot that over the matter of uh, at least two or two or three years. We compiled the, the video for that, and, and, and we did it. We ended up with a 60-minute documentary. We start in the Precambrian, and we work all the way up to the modern day. And, and we used a lot of experts from around Oklahoma, a lot of OU folks, uh, some folks from, from all over in that. And that was a big learning experience for us. We were kind of taking that step from entertainment even more so into a more serious filmmaking and documentary making so it was a lot of fun we even did a classroom edition of that uh, that a few people have seen and it's about four hours long so I say few people because most people don't want to watch four hours of that <laughs> that sounds like the entirety of um, geology education probably for yeah. you know any middle school or high school class <clears throat> I think one thing that the YouTube generation should teach us is that it's it's best it's best given in small bites and small doses. Right? <laughs> I want my six-second vine, people, you know. I don't want a four-hour-long documentary. So. Oh, you're dating yourself there since uh, vine is no more as well. <laughs> well <laughs> man. <laughs> um, I mean, so that leads us into my favorite of your all's um, excursions, which is Geology Kitchen. And mm -hmm. I know I've mentioned it on the show a ton, so I hope that – our listeners have actually gone and looked at that, but it's something that I show in my non-majors classes specifically. But could you explain what Geology Kitchen is? <laughs> yeah, sure. So after our documentary period, we got into YouTube, this awesome new medium that popped up, and we decided that what we wanted to do, there was a little bit that we did in, in our documentaries around food, and I already mentioned ice cream, and we kind of had been building, I must be hungry throughout life, because <laughs> there's been this food undercurrent. But we, we shoot it in, in my kitchen, and it's called Geology Kitchen because we describe geologic principles and concepts through food. And so it, the cool thing about that is, is that people understand food. And there's a physics and a chemistry. The basic underlying premise of, of natural science is there. They don't have to know the fancy words of, you know, what kind of rock is this or that. So we start from there, and then we build back to the food, to the rocks. And educate about rocks. And, and we've got a, a nice series online. Everybody go check that out. Hopefully you have. So what are some of the topics of Geology Kitchen then that are out there? I mean, I love these things. They're fantastic. But you guys cover a really wide range of stuff. We do. And it really just is what we feel like making at the time. <laughs> um, and, and, and like I, I, I like to say, I like to create uh, videos and, and books and things at the level of geology that I understand, which is about, you know, like five, five to nine-year-old. <laughs> So, no, we do, we've done a, a lot of them. So the ones that are the most popular are the ones that are obviously basic and, you know, have the widest um, audience. So uh, the th our, our three types of rocks one is, is a big one. Uh, what, you know, identifying minerals. So what is a mineral? It's real basic, but, you know, we kind of go through sort of the, the, the rules of thumb for being a mineral. And those kinds of things are the ones that, those are the ones that really are, are the, the big winners online. We've got over a million hits in total on our thing. So, I mean, we're not, you know, 
super viral type deal, but um, we, we get emails from teachers all the time that are using them. And I, I was glad to hear you were using them in your class, which is awesome. Um, you know, and, I, and then we branch out to the things that we, we made some karst in one. One of my favorite episodes was one where we I rented a cotton candy machine because I wanted to show how we were going to talk about mineralization. And I was thinking about lollipops. And I said, let me, I'm going to rent a cotton candy machine and I'm going to set it in my kitchen. <laughs> what I didn't realize was is that cotton candy floats out the top. <laughs> and so I fired this thing up and I'm talking over it in front of the, the camera set up and the lights and it's all on. And all of a sudden I look up and my ceiling is covered in cotton candy. <laughs> and then I'm, you know, so now I'm going, now as I talk, I'm thinking, how am I going to clean the candy off the ceiling? <laughs> so... But that was a cool one, you know, because you could show how the minerals and the atoms kind of lay over each other and, and crystallize. So, uh, you know, that that's just one that sticks out. We've, we've done a bunch of stuff. We're, we're, we're kind of weird. I love the messes all in the name of science. This is it's really good. Well, if you're, not, if you're not getting messy, you're not doing science right. Amen to that. Um, <laughs> obviously, on the show, we talk a ton about plate tectonics. So that's one of my favorite ones is where you're boiling the, the mm-hmm. cocoa and you oh, can yeah. see, like, the plates diverge mm-hmm. and converge and it's really great that was the, actually the last one that i played in class yeah. because the kids were like i don't understand this in 3d and i'm like oh <laughs> let's get geology kitchen out <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. yeah it was really good and then everyone went to the coffee shop right after that so you know everyone <laughs> everyone went home and boiled milk and cocoa <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly I like, right I, I, I wanted to do my pop tart one i haven't done my pop tart yet but i, I like to build triple junctions out of my pastries <laughs> That's going to be one that's upcoming. I, I, if you if you do it, just try and get a perfect little triple junction to, to be born. And then there's all those Pop-Tarts that are left over that And then you get to eat the work. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so you're going to make more geology kitchens. Uh, oh, yeah. What else are you guys planning on doing? We, we just finished a new geology kitchen. Yay. <laughs> hey, Todd, what was the name of that? What, what did we do? I don't even remember what we did on the last geology kitchen. We did... <laughs> We did one not too long ago about feldspars. We talked about feldspars. What was oh. our last geology kitchen? We just did. What was we the topic? So we I know. Yet. So this is the problem. Oh. Right? We've uh, we've made so many of them that I can't keep track of them all. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to do more. We've got more planned. Uh, we've got some that haven't been released yet, and and we're just waiting on the timing of a few things to to release that. So and hopefully you'll see here over the next couple of years. A flurry of new geology kitchens. So we've oh. kind of taken a hiatus over the last couple of years, but we've gotten a, a new surge of, of projects and, and things in that's kind of helping us do this again. So it does take time, you know. So um, you know, we've all got day jobs. You know, don't get paid <laughs> to do now, geology yes. kitchen at this point. So. Or, or this podcast. Yes, I understand. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I think that actually <laughs> highlights a really important point because if you watch those, I mean, there's a lot of not only manpower that goes into making them, but I assume, as Todd will probably agree, there's a lot of editing that goes in as well, right? And this is outside of everyone's real money-making jobs. I couldn't do this without Todd because <laughs> it takes a tremendous amount of time to edit and go through. And, and, you know, I've done this a long time, but I still give him 10 really garbage takes sometimes before <laughs> we get one that's actually right. And, uh, uh, um, so, you know, it's just the way, it's a part of the process, you know, and, and that's how you know that you get something at the end of the day that's, that's really good. So, yes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, 
my my missing co-host does all the work too i just yeah. show up yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's real scary being here without him that's for sure uh, um <laughs> i think you're doing great thanks, thanks. I, I would have already cried by now <laughs> i just cried a little bit um <laughs> So YouTube is obviously, you know, the way to go now, but what other, are you guys going to make more documentaries? Like what else are you, you said you're branching out. Where does it go from here? So we have a new project that's coming up that we're, we're working on. We just got, just got some funding to, to start putting it together and it's called Everyday Earth. And Everyday Earth is, is a little more of a formal thing for teachers to take into their classrooms and, and actually build earth science education around for younger students um, in that sort of um, you know, middle school age range. And instead of just giving them videos with some exercises and some lesson plans, which we are doing, we're also building a version of this module or, or these different modules that are on different parts of Earth science. Uh, we're building them as interactive modules. So, uh, you know, a student can go sit down in front of a computer and watch a video, but at certain points in, in the video, they'll, they can click on links to go find out different things or take them to different videos. You know, back in the old days, there were primitive virtual field trips that people <laughs> built, right? And yes. some of those were pretty good. Some of them weren't. Um, and so we're going back in and trying to use some of the new um, software around interactivity that's actually really come a long way in the last few years to to, to try and do more with and, and make it less of a static medium and something that people actually interact with. So, uh, you know, it's new, it's new ground for us, but that's what makes it fun is to try to do something new and different. There's a lot of money in getting technology into classrooms. And I feel like just through my own experience, both with my kids and being a teacher, that there's not a lot of interaction like you guys are trying to do. Like, here's an iPad, but there's no sort of like, what do you do with that iPad? So I think that this everyday earth thing is really awesome because that's going to sort of bridge that gap of being able to teach the students how to use technology mm -hmm. in addition to just having it sitting there but it's something, you know, really interactive and it gives it a purpose in the classroom as opposed to just saying, look, we have technology, which happens all the time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and what's cool about it is the, the way we've set it up is each each lesson is like a little episode of, there's a little uh, cycle through the, the scientific method. So you know, they're presented with a kind of a, a question or something weird. Like um, we have one segment where we're actually, I have a pond and in the back of my dock that we built is about six feet above the water, which is really weird. Why would you build a dock six feet above the water, right? Well, hmm. So the, the kids have to watch some videos and watch and look around and click on some things and figure out and go through some questions and gather some data and develop a hypothesis around what could be causing this water to, to not be there, right? And so we talk about evaporation. We talk about... Uh, transpiration from the trees and the grass and talk about uh, infiltration percolation into the ground it's groundwater and all the different things that could happen and they have to go through a little exercise to try and figure out what happened here it's like a little detective story so, and then when they pick the right thing they get a happy little video and, and you know it's like pulling the pulling the uh uh the casino lever you know Slot machine, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's like ding, ding, ding. I get stuff. I'm happy. You know, that's uh, <laughs> having a passel of kids. You know, that is what yes, motivates children to I do have, things. That's right. I study my four kids very closely. 
<laughs> they're my focus group. Uh, yeah, man, yeah. that's cheap. That's good. That's real yeah, good. Yeah. So that's why they're there. Um, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. So this is like a digital choose your own adventure. That's exactly what we modeled it. Oh man, that's exactly that also that. dates us as well. But that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Thank that's, you again for bringing that. Up. You're welcome. I just can't help. Or it. I'm just more dated than you. Are. <laughs> that is By fantastic. some unknown amount. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it there. Just leave it there. Um, so a lot of teachers I talk to and everything, everybody kind of flags and enthusiasm. How do you? How have you guys kept the enthusiasm up for creating these educational tools for all these years? That's a good question. I mean, I think uh, well, number one, it's always kind of been just it, for me. It's kind of a labor of love more than anything else. I mean, it's it's a hobby. I really enjoy doing it. You know, Todd enjoys doing it. Otherwise, he wouldn't do it. But it's also a career for him uh, in this business. So, um, and it gives us a chance to go to places like this. I mean, so we're sitting on a hillside in Canyon City, Colorado, and, and we've been shooting video all day. We've seen some really cool stuff and talked to some really cool people. To me, that's the, that's the most awesome part of it. You get to see things and talk to people and really put stories together. And, and what I'm interested in the most not so much, I love the stories that the rocks tell us. I think they're fantastic. But it's also the stories of how they inter interact with our lives, right? And so it might be something as simple as the way where they routed a highway because there's a, a river there or a cliff or the rocks change or why trees grow on one side of a mountain and not the other, right? Because to me, it's the whole, it's, Earth is a system, right? And you have to understand the whole, all the different pieces of the Earth system in order to really truly start to appreciate it and the reason why earth uh, and that earth system affects our uh, ice cream festivals and <laughs> enjoyment of basketball games and stuff like that and i think when you can do that that's where you connect with people yeah absolutely um i think a lot of people don't think much i mean especially in oklahoma a lot of people know what geology is probably more than other states just because mm -hmm. of all of the oil industry there but i mean to connect it to things like that like ice cream I, we always joke about ice being a mineral on here like that's mm -hmm. kind of our <laughs> yeah. we continue yeah. that Deal all the way it, through world. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that just fits perfectly into yeah. into kind of what we're trying to do here i think you know we started this and we originally thought that it'd be our fellow grad students listening to it and then you know maybe our students later on but it turns out that most of our listeners are really people that are just interested in everyday geology there are a ton of armchair geologists out there that yes. never had the opportunity to go to school or to learn more that's the true hidden audience, right? I mean, you, it's we, we started off as a, a group doing informal science education. And to me, that's the most impactful place to do it. That's what YouTube's all about. That's why I can go, I can Google stuff in physics on YouTube and watch it. And I don't have to get permission or pay anybody. I mean, I just go and learn. Now, it may not be wrong. I, I need to go and figure out if what they're saying <laughs> is right. But it, it's, it's enough to, to feed your interest and your curiosity, right? Kids especially. They don't need a lot. They just need little seeds of curiosity, you know, and they'll grow through time, you know, and so those are little tiny seeds. That's why one reason why now, I'm, in addition to the videos, I'm uh, writing children's books. Yes. So. <laughs> yes, that was, uh, that was my next question, actually, for you, is what about this? You wrote a book. That's, that's awesome. I did, I did. So I uh, published my first commercial book last year through uh, Dorlin Kindersley, uh, publisher. So you might see DK Books in the bookstore. They're actually a, a division of Random House and Penguin Books. And, um, yeah, I, I worked with them last year to build a, 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 a My Rocks and Minerals book. 
And really, it's it's meant to be a first book about geology. It's really more than just rocks and minerals, but it's very young. It's six to nine years old. And so it's that age where kids are really starting to sit on the driveway and pick up rocks or skip rocks in the water or play in the dirt and those kinds of things. So those are foundational learnings. So you got to keep it really simple for that age. And they reached out to me, and, and I said, heck yeah, uh, let's, let's write a book. And they got they helped with with uh, helped us find pictures and and I kind of designed and wrote it and we put it together and it's just awesome it's a beautiful book really proud of it they've actually asked me to come back and write a second one oh I'm actually, nice I'm about third of the way through book two right now oh so is it just rocks and minerals part two or is it's it actually more? not no oh, it's okay. it's the same age range but it's a did you know fact book about the earth oh nice okay. so it actually covers everything from uh, natural resources, natural hazards, there's all sorts of things in there. It's not just rocks and minerals. Oh, great. So the so. death and destruction part of geology that all oh, kids yeah. love. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's excellent. DK books are really great. I'm, I have a ton of them already, and I was really excited to add yours to the library as well, as was my child. who. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, was very excited that I knew the person that wrote it. So. <laughs> <laughs> me so too. there's that. Yeah, yeah exactly. First time for me. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. Well, um, we've talked a lot about what Esteem is doing then. Uh, you and Todd are real busy. Like I said, you're out here all day tomorrow, which you could probably film out here for weeks and not get everything done out here in Canyon City. That's for no, sure. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. We're, actually, we're actually filming out here in context for Oklahoma, too. So oh. We're, we're part of our Oklahoma um, uh, version of Everyday Earth, and we do want to shoot locally because we think that kids will – really react to the landscapes around them better than some other place and across the world. So it's, it's so all true. about, it's all about their own backyard. You have to bring it home. Yeah. But, um, the Arkansas river happens to flow through, uh, this area. It sure does. And yeah. There's, there's a big Royal Gorge right up the, the street here. <laughs> yeah. And that might be a place to talk about erosion and the Arkansas river. So that's uh -huh. what brings us to town because we are tracking the life of water as it flows down into, uh, uh, the Oklahoma area, so oh. gotta, we got to come back to the source, and we're kind of right here. That's right, yeah, we're right at the headwaters. Um, that's the big joke is that you know if students get mad at me, just throw my body in the Arkansas, yeah. and uh, they'll fish it out somewhere yeah. back home. Somewhere in somewhere in Tulsa. Yeah, probably. exactly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's really great to talk to you about education. It's always one of John and my's favorite topics um, to talk about on here, and we've talked to a lot of great people doing a lot of great outreach, um, and so. Please, where can everyone find you on the internet? Uh, at Geology Video. There's, uh, you can find us from just about anywhere there. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're all over the place. You can also Google my name, Devin Denny, uh, <laughs> or Geology Kitchen. Um, either way, uh, we'll get you to where you need to be. Excellent. That's awesome. It was certainly a pleasure to talk to you today, Devin. Um, I wish you and Todd the best luck, and I'm sure we'll actually have you back on with your evolving projects so we can talk about where you stand now, where you think the state of education is, and um, everything that comes next to get more people into geosciences. Well, I hope so. I, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, Shannon. Well, John, I hope you and the listeners enjoyed that interview that I did all by myself. <laughs> but I'm really happy that you're going to be back now for Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> um, did somebody send us this paper? Is that where we got it? Where did this come from? So I believe somebody had sent us a link to an article about this research. Okay. Yes. 
and then I believe it was you, Shannon, that found the paper. Yeah. And this is, this is a topic that I would say is near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I was going to say, this is right up our alley. Um, so this is, are two spaces better than one? The effect of spacing following periods and commas during reading by Johnson et al. <laughs> so how did you learn to type when you took typing? So I am quite positive that we learned two spaces following a period, but that I said, nope, that's dumb. And I never did it. So we learned two spaces following a period, one space following a comma. Yes. And I have religiously done that. Mm, okay. <laughs> and then when I was writing some magazine articles, I, I had somebody that was a professional editor say, by the way, we don't use two spaces anymore. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which I've then talked to other professional editors who have had sort of a VI Emacs kind of battle going on about ah, this. Ah, gotcha. Uh-huh. Yes. So what you should do is quantify it, and that's what this paper does. <laughs> I love it. This was so good and so interesting. And the reason this paper, I mean, this is a new paper, April 2018, um, in Attention, Perception, and Psychophysics, which they tackled this because the APA, so everybody looks at the APA manual, right, um, says that two spaces should follow punctuation at the end of the sentence, and this is not what the APA used to say. And that's exactly what they wanted to do, was quantify whether, whether that makes reading comprehension better or worse. So what you're saying is it's two spaces, period. <laughs> <laughs> You've been saving that one, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love how they allude to like how this is a very, people are very impassioned about this topic. <laughs> right, <laughs> Which they are. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and they had a really cool kind of experimental setup too because, so they were looking at, you know, reading comprehension, but they also had a writing component to the experiment. And so they tested whether people wrote using one space or two spaces. Right, and so they're not telling them what they're testing for. They just say, please sit down at a computer and type this paragraph right. or paragraphs, mm -hmm. and they measure it. And then they say, sit down at this computer now. Uh, it's not unusual at all. We're going to put your head in a chin rest, <laughs> and we're going to put these eye-tracking goggles on you, and we want you to look at the black square at the corner of the screen, and as soon as you do, a paragraph will appear that is quadruple-spaced text. That seemed really odd noxious to me. <laughs> Well, but I get why. from the data analysis side, I totally get why yep. they did it, mm -hmm. is because it would be hard to differentiate on an eye tracker what line you were on. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I get that. That's fine. Um, so then they, they, they analyzed where you were looking when you were reading, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And have you done one of these before? I got to do one of these before. It was real weird. So I haven't done an eye tracker. I've done several experiments before uh, during my undergraduate years, but never got to use an eye tracker. Yeah, it was really neat. The chin thing is super annoying. There's something about the shape of my head that they really got mad at. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so they did this, and there was four different sort of experimental methods they were looking at. So there was all these paragraphs, these quadruple space paragraphs, and they had one space after the period and one space after the comma. One space after the period, two spaces after a comma. Real weird. Two spaces after the period, one space after a comma, and then two and two. Right. And 
I have never seen two spaces after a comma. So no. that was really more of a control to see if it works for all punctuation or not. Right. I thought that was a very interesting thing. I don't think I would have even thought to do that. So, well, I guess that's why these people are professionals about this and I'm not. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I, I'm waiting for the follow-up paper about how many exclamation points means you're really excited. <laughs> Five, obviously. <laughs> Five, yes. Uh, <laughs> so they used 60 students who got their hour of research credit, which was probably mandatory for some class. Yep. <laughs> uh, to do this. And I I thought what was really interesting is the results were I'm not gonna say obscure, but they weren't intuitively obvious. Yeah. I didn't really get that either. So I was actually quite eager to discuss that with you because yeah. It's not. I, I mean, I think what comes out of it is that two spaces following a comma is dumb, period. <laughs> That's true. And so if there are two spaces following periods, you sort of skipped the punctuation mark. You didn't go back and fixate on it quite so much. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is good, right? That's the point, is to facilitate your reading of the sentence. And whether two spaces or one worked or reduced the amount of time you fixated on punctuation was independent of how you typed uh yeah um i thought it was really interesting though that the two spacers were a lot faster readers they were yeah and uh, I, they said this wasn't statistically significant but this histogram looks statistically significant right and so it's two spacers no matter how you did you know one space or two space after periods or commas if you typed with two spaces you're technically a faster reader but maybe not yeah right yeah <laughs> it, it was it was really strange um i guess over I, oh go ahead I, I think there was probably some weird sample bias in there that made it not pass a p-value test yeah it, it had to be something like that um it, this was really interesting and you know they I actually really like this paper because they talk about all the caveats of their results, I thought, very clearly and very comprehensively, which a lot of papers don't do. Um, so they say that, yeah, there is this slight difference when you have two spaces following the period, maybe. But comprehension was the same across all, all the things. So I guess it depends on what you want out of reading. Right. And I'm curious how many people, so I've tried to learn before how to read faster because I read, unfortunately, very slowly. Me too. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the the biggest thing is always not to vocalize the words in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's hard. And I can't do that. You can't not do that, you mean? I uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Hmm. That's and I also semi-vocalize punctuation in my head. So I'm curious if my results would fit in this or not. Right, yeah, because they wound up throwing out over like 9% of their data because of little quirks like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I would love to do this test. Yes, yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Um, it was real interesting, yeah. So, you know, they say that in summary, this is empirical evidence that supports the APA manual changing this um and uh, i really thought that the weirdest thing was that people that type with two spaces read faster although obviously that's not a thing but they also said 
you know, it doesn't affect how you actually comprehend the stuff, so maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know, but I thought maybe that next time I start typing stuff, I'm going to go back to this two-space business and see what happens. So I typed a little bit this afternoon for work, mm -hmm. and I purposely wrote one paragraph with two spaces and one paragraph with one because nobody would notice <laughs> in an email. I like the aesthetically, typographically, the two spaces is more pleasing to me. Really? Yes. Well, there's empirical evidence that backs that up. <laughs> Just because it gives a nice visual breakup to the sentences in the paragraph versus it looking like one giant run on unless you look for punctuation. Okay. All right. I'm going to try this now because um, I'm very interested. One thing they did bring up that I was thinking about was the font type, right? Because they used one font type through all of this and they talked about basically adjustments in font type where every letter is allotted the same space and then letters are allotted space versed, based on how they're actually drawn, right? Um, so they said that that would be something that they would like to follow up on as well. Right, so that would be the, the so-called monospace font, right? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. So I thought that and, was interesting. And what about, you know, there are so many other typographical things. Yes, I know. Because this whole time I'm like, are they using one or two? And it doesn't matter because it's all justified in this paper. So, And so they used Courier New mm -hmm. for their font. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious why, because that's a serifed font. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to read a paper about whether serif or sans serif is faster to read because I greatly prefer sans serif for big blocks of text. Really? That's very yes. interesting, because isn't the point of having serifs to draw your eye faster across the word? I don't know exactly. I, that, that is something that I do not have the typographical knowledge on. But Oh, yeah, that's, to me, that's what I always thought, was that serifs were there to usher you along through the word. I mean, I'm looking at the, the actual manuscript that we read, and it is in a serif font as well. Mm -hmm. But when I type documents... Unless there's a specified font, I default to Helvetica. <laughs> That's because you're a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it must be the glasses. Um, and see, I default to Cambria. Interesting. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there, there is a documentary on Netflix that if you have Netflix and you want to spend an hour learning about font... <laughs> Not just any font, but an hour specifically on Helvetica. <laughs> There's a documentary called Helvetica that I highly recommend. You have no idea how much goes into some of these fonts. Oh, my gosh. That's hysterical. Um, I remember that uh, Ikea got rid of Helvetica in their catalogs. It was a big deal. I don't know if you remember that. I, I don't remember that specific <laughs> announcement, no. Yeah, it was a big deal. So, I, so, don't, I don't know why. Yeah, that's, uh, if you've got you know, some kind of preference for one space or two space or how you learn to type, uh, I'd really be really interested in hearing about it. In fact, they even cite an article that I thought was slightly ageist in this. <laughs> um, so down, it, it's a, a blog article from the Cult of Pedagogy <laughs> that they cite, which says, nothing says over 40 like two spaces after a period. That's good stuff. <laughs> um, I, I think we do need to also mention that the last line in this article says, thus, while period spacing does influence our processing of text, we should probably be arguing passionately about things that are more important. 
Right. <laughs> uh, thanks for the funding. <laughs> well, and it did look like to me, it's hard to tell in this specific paper uh, because like many academic journals, it's a two-column paper. Right, yeah. So they changed the kerning so that the text always is the exact same width. Mm -hmm. So I actually couldn't tell how many spaces were after the periods because of the font stretching. I know. Well, yeah, that's what I said. It's justified. So I was like, what did they do? And it's, who knows? Yeah, I kept waiting for that punchline at the end. But Right, yeah. you know, that's something that says, by the way, the first three pages <laughs> of this paper were... Exactly. One period or one it, space after the period. It just felt like one of those papers, but yeah, dang journal. We Usage. need to get uh, Donald Knuth on this. Yeah, we sure do. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have a specific preference or how you learn to type or would like to fund a set of vision tracking goggles for the podcast so we can further investigate <laughs> what font we should be using for our show notes shannon how can they do that uh you can get a hold of us show at don'tpanicgeocast.com we will definitely see how you write that email uh and then john is at geo underscore lehman i'm at shannon doolin together we're at don't panic geo on twitter and then Oz. Always thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, you can support us if you enjoy this podcast. It is at patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And I know there's a lot of chit-chat going on in the Slack chat room, so we're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.